Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeff with Gyro Nation Metal. Pitch Black North started as a clothing retailer selling tea on the side. Once it was recognized that the tea was really where the interest was, Crucifix started the Satanic Tea Company based out of Calgary, Alberta. The Satanic Tea Company has been a huge addition to the metal scene, beautifully pairing metal with tea in a very metal way that has captured the interest from people across the world. Now Crucifix has moved further into the music scene, bringing even more to the world of Canadian metal. Crucifix, thank you for joining me today, and it's good to finally meet you. Thank you so much for having me. I super appreciate it. Oh, no worries at all. You've been an entrepreneur for quite some time now, and you keep expanding your realm. So what was it like in the beginning, and what made you start a clothing shop? Um, basically, at the beginning, um, my old band I was in, we toured like semi-regularly. I was starting to work for bands um, in the States as like a merch guy. I was like away pretty often from home, like not making the best money in the music industry. Um, when I was like 16, 15, I had a t-shirt company that did pretty good. So I just kind of thought like, oh, what if I just started selling piece on the side to like maybe earn a bit of extra cash and like um, maybe just keep being able to allow myself to travel abroad and like do what I love working in music. Um, yeah, I pretty much just kind of started uh, selling a few t-shirt designs. Um, the T was kind of like a side project that was like more of an idea from my sister and dad they said I should sell coffee but I was like pretty intimidated by coffee culture I guess but also I had no idea about anything about tea essentially at the time it just seemed easier to me but tea culture is like I guess like pretty similar with like tea snobs and people just like not wanting you to break into the tea world I guess <laughs> as a newcomer like trying to do something weird and different um and yeah like uh pretty that was like the main reasoning of trying to get started but um people really didn't gravitate towards the t-shirts. They more like the tea in the black bag. And then here we are, I guess. You mentioned basically tea gatekeepers. So what were some of the first roadblocks you ran into when trying to move into the tea scene? Um, yeah, it's so like, at first I wasn't, um, trying, I wasn't trying to make the tea myself. I just like wanted to, I was wanted to focus on just like making t-shirts that had like, just like, I guess more like black metal ish like type imagery. Um, uh, T, I guess, like the branding, like trying to find some of the white label for us. Um, they like saw they, I guess, they just saw the designs and they just as soon as they saw like the label, they would have to like put on their product. They kind of just turned it down. It was like I think we went through like four or five different companies, mostly like yeah, out east. Um, I just kind of like ah, actually, you're not the right fit for us. And I was like, oh okay, I guess that's cool. Um, especially back then they weren't even like that really crazy i guess there was like just pictures of like satan i guess like they weren't down um and yeah like no one people were like a lot of people weren't that helpful when i had questions about um as soon as they kind of like figured out the branding i guess i was using um they kind of brushed us off pretty quickly it's interesting that even in this day and age that people would i guess choose that route instead of trying to make money despite the i don't know i guess controversial uh imagery and stuff like that but it just Seems strange that's something that should have happened, you know, in the 90s. Totally. When you were working on clothing, like, how did you... I actually, I have a few questions about the whole thing. So where did you source your material from? Did you print it yourself or did you have, like, someone on the side doing that for you? How did it work for you? Um, yeah, at first, just from, like, being in bands, like, I knew lots of screen printers just from, like, printing our own merch. I don't know anything about uh, screen printing or making t-shirts. I just, like, wanted to, like, get the shit out there so, like, I could try and sell. Like, I feel like I'm better at... Um, branding and marketing as opposed to making the product especially clothing um 
especially back then. Um, so yeah, like pretty much back then, I think we made, we printed it on like, uh, not American apparel or something else, something like soft like that. I was like, I want it to be soft. <laughs> and I was like, soft is yeah, a bad t-shirt. t-shirt. Um, so yeah, but like, I wasn't really concerned about sourcing or like sustainability. Um, especially with like, even like the tea products, like I had no idea where those ingredients were coming from back then. Um, like now like there's a really great tea company in calgary called sargessa um teas she's in like safeways and um save on foods and stuff like that um we i actually a a coffee shop here in town chose our tea over hers i guess and she found out that she lost uh she lost this tea shop or a coffee shop to someone called the satanic tea because she actually reached out to us to be like who is this (laughs) and how did i lose out to this (laughs) dude um, it turns out like, yeah, we had a lot in common. Like we're both Trinidadian for both this like small business tea people in Calgary. Um, and she, yeah, she's like, was like a huge, um, just a huge person in my life for building the tea company. Um, just like teaching me about sustainability, like how to source the ingredients, like the conditions of workers in the farms across, like where you're getting your spices. Cause a lot of times spices can come from places where, there's not a lot of rules. So like you have to like directly talk to these farmers and stuff like that to um, make sure like, yeah, the, the conditions are okay. And like figuring out, like you can feel good about the cup of tea you're drinking or the product you're using. Um, so yeah, she was huge and she's still like, she um, is still like a massive part of our operation with Satanic Pico. So yes, yeah, shout out to Alexandra, Sargessa Tea. That's awesome that you basically turned competition into, I mean, it might still be a little bit of competition, but at least now it's friendly and you guys can work together. Oh, no, I wouldn't say it's coming. There's like so many tea, like, I don't know. There's so many tea. She's doing something totally different than us. Um, it's definitely like, yeah, she's like, a, she's almost like more of like a business partner in the tea thing because she's been like so huge with like so many um, aspects of where we are now and how we do things for sure. When you're sourcing your ingredients, how do they guarantee that it's ethically sourced? Um, yeah, so that's like a lot is it, it a lot of that happens through Sargessa from us. Um, but there is like protocols, there's like, um, like unions and like organizations you have to join that meet certain criteria, or you're not allowed to say you're part of these, um, ethically sourced groups. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's like a criteria involved with, um, doing that. That's really good. Really positive step for, for a lot of different countries. Totally. <laughs> like a lot of places like where we get our where we get basically anything from a lot of the time that people are exploited or even the resources of that country. Right. Like you said, because of no rules. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's stuff like, I don't know. I oftentimes am like super complacent. Like don't really think about like, where did the flavor in this white claw come from? Like, you know what I mean? Just like, there's like just stuff people don't really think about. And like, if I wanted, yeah, I wanted to be able to, once I had the information, especially from, or just just being like, well, now that I have this information and know these things, it kind of opens your eyes a little bit. Like, I want to try and mm-hmm. uh, provide a product that's um, good for everyone. In learning more about sourcing, does it make you a little bit more conscious in like your everyday life with like clothing, with food, all that kind of stuff? I think, yeah, it does. It does make you feel more conscious about it. Like, maybe you can feel more bad about like certain choices you make, but also like, I feel like we're all like kind of like a slave to the system. Like, you do what you can, um, but I feel like not mm-hmm. all the most ethical options are like always available depending on like how much money you're earning and like the options in front of you, like, um, what is it like? There's no ethical consumption over capitalism or whatever, but like you do your best. And like, I think as long as you're trying to make those steps and like the more, you know, the more you can do, 
um, in your everyday life for sure. And it, some of it comes down to practicality as well. Like you said earlier, what, what options do you have? If none of those options are available, you kind of stuck with, you know, the lesser of two evils. Totally. When you began the clothing shop, was it like a brick and mortar store? Or was everything online? Oh yeah. Everything's pretty much always been online. I've never had, um, there's never been a satanic deco or pitch black North like brick and mortar. Like we're in quite a few shops in the States as like a retail, um, in other people's shops. Um, we're in a few in Canada. Um, but overall, yeah, it's, um, it's all pretty much heavily online for sure. And how do you get hooked up with these clothing shops? Like obviously there's discussion for a partnership and stuff, but how to approach them and how do you guys come to an agreement? Um, we're on like a couple of different like wholesaling websites that kind of like connect, um, buyers and, uh, makers, um, kind of thing. Um, there's been like a lot of times where I just like search like weird, like, uh, magic shops or like um shops where they sell like crystals or like just like any like cool like little mod pop like gift shops where they're like kind of selling some alternative type products like um i just a lot of googling and then like cold emailing being like hey we have this product um i feel like especially like now with like tiktok and instagram um a lot of people are just finding us um organically that way and like we'll reach out um so those are like definitely like the main avenues for sure it sounds like you're even being conscious of who you distribute through, like you did mom and pop shops. So does that mean you kind of like avoid the bigger retailers and chains? Uh, I don't know if I would avoid, if we're avoiding them or there hasn't been like a lack of opportunity for like uh, bigger stores like that. Um, like I think, and I think also like the opportunity for them to be into it. Like the only thing the other company I can think of that's like doing kind of more outrageous stuff is like Liquid Death has like a lot of outrageous marketing and they're in some stuff, so it makes me like maybe those places would eventually carry our stuff. But um, it seems like a lot of people are pretty, pretty hesitant to put um, satanic imagery or like what we're doing into their uh, storefronts, apart from like more indie type shops, which uh, we love for sure. Mm -hmm. I was actually just reading one of your other interviews just before the podcast here, and that you've got death threats and stuff like that because of the satanic imagery. Oh, yeah. Um, the we, did, we didn't really get very much before, um, but the New York Times did an article about us. I feel like that was like a huge mainstream um, entryway for a lot of people to hear about us. And yeah, we got people tweeting at us death threats. I got stuff sent to my PO box <laughs> and stuff like that. And then now with TikTok and stuff, I feel like um, that has opened the floodgates <laughs> also <laughs> to like that kind of wording and stuff so yeah it's pretty like interesting to think about like a tea company getting death threats or like just like i don't know just sending death threats to someone who's like not really doing anything to anyone really <laughs> but here we are like you said you were mentioned in the new york times so did you notice that with some of this negative reactions that your sales went up as well oh yeah yeah i feel like every time there's like if there's if people a lot of people are talking about you in a negative sort of light there's like Unless you're doing like something totally heinous, like I feel like there's a market who is like totally all about it, <laughs> especially with like um, metal and uh, Satan and stuff like that. So I feel like the New York Times would have just been trying to do a smear. No, it's actually yeah, the, um, the person who wrote it, Kim Kelly, she actually writes for like Gospel magazine. Um, OK, she has a lot of like she has like a lot of um, union um, coverage in the States. Um, she's written a book. Yeah, Kim Kelly, she's really awesome, loves metal. Um, and I know she pitched it to like a few different people. The New York Times was the first person to pick it up. 
That's interesting. Yeah. That's pretty cool that she's a metalhead too. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. So when you started to move from clothing to tea, like you said, there was tea in a little black bag. But since then, you've expanded your product base quite a bit. So how did you start deciding what flavors to make and what to stock on your shelves, basically? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so when we, like, we started pivoting towards just kind of like tea, um, I stopped white labeling, um, like buying tea from another company in the bags that they were, we'd provide for them. Um, I had to start renting like a commercial kitchen, uh, mix the blends myself. And I think that's kind of where I really was like, just like mad scientists kind of like experimenting with like little things just because oh now i got to do this myself <laughs> like um just want to try new things and offer new um experiences to our uh customers and stuff like that um so like, i think like it was probably like maybe a year a year and a half into doing this is when i started with the kitchen um i forget the original question but yeah <laughs> it was pretty much yeah like when we, when i started to, to make the stuff on my own just like I was pretty selfish with the flavors too. Cause I was just like, I don't care what other people like. I just want to make what I like. And it's like a lot of, um, especially in the beginning, it's like a lot of vanilla. Cause I really like vanilla. Just like those types of sweeter on the sweeter end black tea, uh, blends. Um, and yeah, so like now we have like a Patreon, um, with like some members and I kind of like chat with them to like see, um, they kind of help me like decide on which blends. And we also work with, uh, other bands doing collabs too. And like, we usually work pretty closely with them to like, figure out a blend which they're comfortable which they want to have and what they want to offer like their fan base as well so it's kind of like a combination of things now that's a pretty cool approach especially giving the bands kind of like more rate of freedom i guess in that regard too they want it to represent them but also it's representing you no totally yeah it's sweet yeah some bands like they don't care at all like um we did one with bloodbath like three years ago and they were like just make sure it's red like don't care <laughs> as long as it's red we don't care I was like, okay. And then there's other bands that, like, I think, uh, like, uh, we did one with Measmore two years ago or a year ago. And it was, like, six months of sending back samples, making sure everything was exactly how we wanted it, like, very particular. Um, and I like both options. Like, if you don't care, then whatever, that's fine. I'll, I'll be happy to, like, choose something. But I also, like, love, like, working with the artists to, like, find something they're, like, really happy with and they want to, like, uh, curate to their uh, fans and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a, it's interesting, like the spectrum of um, experiences bands have with like collabing with us. And with these collabs, they're all basically limited runs, right? Yeah, super limited runs. I think like we typically with Measmore, we only did a hundred. It's typically one to two hundred. I think with like um, Cradle of Filth, we did like almost a thousand bags, and that was like the biggest collab run we've ever done. I think Bells mm -hmm. um, Above's also was like probably around 500 at this point and twin temple is a few hundred more but yeah the typical run is around 200 bags hmm. and you've collabed with quite a few bands so how does how do you get in partnership with them and how does it feel to be already partnering with some huge names uh yes like at first it was definitely like just me in the dms just like hitting people up like a lot of people do not answer um which is cool <laughs> but um yeah it's just like it was a lot of just like me hitting the dms um like that's how we got cradle of filth i just messaged dandy one day and three months later he texted me back um saying his manager is down and then that's kind of how that started um yeah now at this point like i feel like we've had because we've had like a few um established uh acts as collabs um i think people know about us a little bit more they're more receptive to hearing what we can offer like what we want to do um, like, so it's a, kind of a combination of me reaching out to bands, 
fans reaching out to us or like their merch managers reaching out to us or their managers um, or just like acquaintances or like mutual um, friends like hitting each other up um, is seemingly right now how it's happening a lot. It's like, oh, we did this. Like you might like this too um, sort of thing. Hmm. Pretty cool. I've, I've always been interested in like, merch collabs with bands. Like I've some guests that I've had have had beard oil, beers, coffees, all that kind of stuff. Actually, Totally. Also breaking into the coffee world because you've done a collab midnight on that. Oh yeah, the midnight was also a tea though. Oh, was it? Okay, cool. But we do have a coffee. We we um we work with a roastery in um Edmonton called the Grizzler, and they roast mm-hmm. all the coffee for us um out of Edmonton. There. Does that side of things have a, a similar process when it comes to ethically sourcing the beans? Oh yeah, like that. Like, um, Drew at the Grizzler is like. He is, I would say, yeah, like the coffee version of Alexander. It's hard just to like, like they're wrecked with the farmers. Like all the beans they source, they're they're getting it like right from the farmers, wherever they're sourcing it. Um, they're all about sustainability. They do a lot of work in the downtown core of Edmonton, um, trying to like get sustainable coffee into people's hands. Um, so yeah, I, like I feel like very fortunate to have uh, met these people in my life to like kind of show me these things and like kind of open your eyes. Be like. Like I drink a ton of tea and a ton of coffee hmm. every day. So it's just like probably like the number one thing I consume, like even more than food. So like knowing uh, where it's coming from and how um, your like purchase uh, affects like a chain reaction of things um, happen uh, because of these guys um, and girls. Uh, it really helped me a lot <laughs> in how we do things here for sure. How does one find like whether or not they're, beans or their tea ingredients are ethically for example like if i was going to go to a coffee shop how would i know like other than asking is there anything that's advertised or oh uh, yeah like they might they like i feel like you'd have to like maybe look on their website you could ask like maybe it'll be on the label um but like i feel like a lot of people like make it their whole branding um but then yeah like i don't know like a place like mcdonald's says it's ethically sourced the rabbit beans like i don't know like a corporation of that scale like I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying like I would have more questions, perhaps. Um, yeah, it, I feel like it also has to go with like a lot of trust, unless you like know how specifically or like you want to talk to like who is sourcing the beans and like asking them what the process is. Like anyone can just slap ethically sourced on a bag, right? Because a lot of people just kind of don't ask any more questions um, from there. I think it is when I hear those words <laughs> a lot of the times. Well, and then they could also be under the impression that it is ethically sourced, but on the other side of the chain, it could be them just putting up some bullshit saying, yeah, it's, we're doing it the way you want it to, but hiding the way they actually do it. No, totally. That's like one thing I really liked about um, uh, Alexandra with Sargessa Tea. She, um, we, she sources all our products now like through her channels. Um, and she like goes and actually like visits the, a lot of the farms and stuff where the product is grown and stuff. So it's um, firsthand like knowing that they're actually like seeing it for themselves and stuff is like very cool. Have you ever been able to travel and check out the farms? No, yeah, like our plan. I think I was get original plans for um, a couple of years ago, but then COVID. Um, now I'm pretty sure we're trying to go at the end of this year. Um, one of the farms out in Hawaii is where a lot of the black tea is grown. Um, so hopefully we can get out there. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Traveling is always hard <laughs> taking time away yeah i would like yeah, i would really love mm-hmm. to go to like a lot of different places where we get our stuff hopefully in the next couple of years here that would definitely be cool to see like where everything is grown then you see the the entire chain the whole way through until you sell it off your shelves yeah exactly 
It's interesting that you brought up COVID because I was actually wondering how that affected you as a company, considering you don't really have like a brick and mortar store like we already chit about. Um, well, yeah, like mental health wise, not good. Mm -hmm. Like business wise, it was like um, it definitely was an uptick because like that New York Times article did come out during COVID. Um, the Cradle of Filth collab helped happen during COVID. Um, so like I guess like navigating, especially like with all the restrictions and rules back then, like it was pretty rough like in our commercial the, the commercial kitchen i used to rent had like tons of different people like who were using different stations so like had to schedule like times where there was only like two people at the, uh in the kitchen at times so, like that was like very hard to get time um going to the post office or trying to get stuff picked up um just like everyone's worried about germs and all that stuff so it was like a big uh a big learning curve because that's like I feel like when I was just starting to like really do stuff on my own via mixing and blending and packaging and all that jazz. Um, yeah, it definitely a lot of opportunities happened during COVID. I'm not sure if it was because of COVID, but not having a brick and mortar store was probably pretty advantageous um, to being mostly an online outlet. Um, and a lot of people were just at home buying stuff they saw on Instagram. And that's like how we were pushing a lot of our stuff at the time. So. And you were already focusing on the tea side of things by the time COVID hit, right? Oh yeah, big time. I think it was like within the first like eight months, I was noticing like no one's really buying these t-shirts. <laughs> um, everyone seems to buy these uh, bags of tea. So like maybe we should just switch to tea. And everyone was like, we were Pitch Black North. We still are technically Pitch Black North, but everyone was calling us that satanic tea company just because of the imagery. So we just kind of leaned into that. Um, once we started like just really selling tea as opposed to t-shirts. Before the Satanic Tea Company, where was your go-to for a, for a restock? For tea? Yeah. Well, like for my own personal consumption? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was like, like before this, like I was not even really a tea person. Like I would just like go to Starbucks, get whatever crap they had, go to the store, like, or David's Tea, I guess. David's Tea has good tea, I guess, but like, I, yeah, I was like not picky at all like before I was doing this and like kind of learning um kind of like what flavors I like I was pretty like basic <laughs> basic as they come when it came to that like no palette for it um yeah like it was pretty much anywhere wherever I would get my I would get like my caffeine fix from you've obviously expanded your horizons quite a bit apart from COVID what were some of your biggest hurdles and what are some of the things that you've experienced that were a lot easier than you had expected um Hurdles, yeah, like hurdles, I guess, like, um, just like real, like what it takes to like work with food products, I guess, is like someone is just like mixing up some stuff in your kitchen at home in your apartment um, to like, oh, okay, like this is actually a lot of people are buying this, like, you have to keep people safe. There's actually regulations involved um, with Alberta, with Canada, sending stuff to the States, because like a large portion of our clients are US based. Uh, so this like, yeah, just like learning <laughs> a lot of stuff of like what's allowed and what's not allowed working with a food product was probably one of the biggest hurdles. Um, and it's still like a constant, uh, it's a, it's a constant changing thing. So it's just like stuff to like always like try and be aware of. Um, just like, I guess starting just like running a business <laughs> on your own from your apartment. Um, and then trying to like navigate, uh, blending and stuff for the first time. Those were all like really big just for me where I was like really just winging it and just like let's hope for the best hopefully people like this I think it tastes good um that was like all uh 
very stressful <laughs> at the beginning there for me. Um, especially, yeah, because of COVID, it was like a whole, it was like a different world we were living in there for a bit. Um, yeah, the easier thing, I think, like, at first, like, uh, probably just, yeah, like, a lot of the collabs um, just kind of just happened. Once one happened, it just kind of was like a steamroll effect. And I, you're just like, you're working with people you never really thought you'd ever talk to. So um, I was, like, pretty cool just, like, being able to work with um, artists and bands that, like, I've loved since I was, like, pretty young. Um, that happened seemingly, like, not without hard work, but it just, like, it seemed like it, once it was happening, it was like, well, that was pretty easy <laughs> kind of a feeling. When it comes to the food regulations and shipping, is there anything that you encountered that was like really surprising, like something you weren't allowed to in the in the tea or something you weren't able to dip? Um, no, not yet. I don't think there has been nothing like surprising. Like I think Germany's just passed a law where like the packaging has to be recyclable or something like that. So like we got to be careful um, and buy special packaging for like German orders, which is like kind of weird. Um, we get like, I don't know, nothing, yeah, nothing with food regulation. It all seems like pretty normal what you would like hope for, I guess, like when you're shipping like a product, even though like tea is like pretty safe, it's dried leaves that you pour boiling water on. So, um, that that's at least like more safe than like if you were shipping like pasta or like meats or something like that, where the risk of cross contamination or something, I feel like is higher, like a plant or something, but, um, yeah, nothing too surprising. Um, I know borders, some, some people, you have to like, I have like filling out customs forms and stuff. I have to like erase all the names of the tea and just write tea in, in its place. So like, you don't see that like, oh, it's Satan's slumber. Like, uh, I know like a lot of our products have been held at borders because people think it's weed <laughs> or like, there's been like, uh, sometimes they like poke holes in the package just because they suspect it's weed. So they'll poke holes in the package or like rip it open um get pictures from some customers <laughs> where their package is going to rip open because people think it's weed and i guess peppermint also kind of looks like weed but um that's probably been more surprising like it says tea on it but you think i'm just smuggling in <laughs> like weed or something like that which has been kind of happens more often than you'd expect i wonder if it's because of the product titles that people seem more compelled to actually search into it date and slumber that would make sense that's why uh yeah i was trying to erase the titles so <laughs> when shipping orders and just write T, T, T. With the food regulations, they're probably just focusing on like, maybe not in your case, but like stuff like safety, cleanliness, and quality of product, probably? No, totally. Yeah, like it has to be at a proper facility. The products have to be come from places that are regulated and approved by Health Canada. Um, the packaging has to look a certain way, uh, like labels and stuff like that. So yeah, it's like, a, it's not like terribly difficult, but it is um, uh, pretty specific, I guess. <laughs> mm -hmm. I read earlier that you use beats to color your tea, make it look like blood. Was that just for the music video, or is that something that you do to like your tea lines? Does it impact the flavor? Oh yeah, like uh, the beats actually. Yeah, we used it. We've used it in a few different blends. Um, the first one was with uh, the band Twin Temple because yeah, they had similar imagery as us. I guess um, they wanted a beat. No, oh, it actually was Bloodbath. They just got a. It was straight up beat ground beats with cinnamon. I think that's what they. They also didn't care at all, but that was like. It's what they wanted, I guess, at the same time. Um, beet, it has like kind of like an earthy flavor. It's not like super strong. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty earthy. If you add like a couple of spices, it's really nice. It blends really nice with chocolatey flavors too. So yeah, we've used it in a few blends. We've used it with Bloodbath. We've used it with Twin Temple, like a chai, a blood chai tea. And we've used it with our own 
uh, when we released our first song, uh, Blood Drenched Torture Chamber, we released a tea called Blood Drenched Torture Chamber, which was like a chocolate beet chai. Mm. That sounds really And it looks great as blood as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm a little bit more interested in um, some of your collaborations there. So obviously it's a partnership between like a band or another company and yourself. What does the partnership look like? Do you guys split the profits? Do you guys like split the product? Do they have a certain number of bags they can sell versus you? Is it something that the band has to invest in you or how does that work? Uh, it depends. It really depends. There's like a few different ways to do it, I guess. But like the most common one is um, I'll just like produce, um, I'll produce all the product um, depending on the band. Um, produce the product. Uh, we work together on the blend and the label design. Like, um, Either we can make the design with our artist here, or like they can provide the whole artwork for themselves. Um, they, they would have to pay for that themselves. Um, and a lot of bands just have like art ready to go that they want to use, or if it's like part of their album work or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, typically either I'll send them half to sell for themselves, and I'll sell half on my channels, or we'll like do like a, a certain profit split is like a typical um, deal, I guess, <laughs> with okay. our collabs. It's like a the general way we do it. And so it's not necessarily the same every time. It really depends on what you and the and the band decide on, right? Yeah, people want different things. Like there's one um, artist we're about to work with that just wants to, they want to do the collab, but they just, they want to purchase all the product just to sell on their channel. Like they don't want us to sell it on our channel, but they want it to be the collab still, but they would rather just buy all the product to sell on their channel. So that's just like one instance of a band wanting to do it a different way which is totally <laughs> chill mm -hmm. a lot of metal bands really like collaborating with different companies to produce a lot of different merch and one of the things that comes to my mind is beer so i'm wondering if you've ever considered working on a tea beer and if you were to choose a brewery in calgary where would it be oh yeah we actually did do a tea beer um last year we did it with um new level brewing here in calgary okay. yep um and it was a combination it was a three-way um collab between us New level and cryptopsy, because um, we also earlier earlier we did a tea with cryptopsy, um, and we used that same tea in the tea beer sour uh, with new level. So it was really cool. Um, it was like a lavender hops tea sour. Um, so yeah, that was uh, I would love to do more beer type stuff in the future because yeah, like one goal like I had early on was like I want to see this on a beer can. I just want to see our uh, label or our logo on a beer can and it about to happen with Cryptopsy. So it's like best case, best possible <laughs> scenario for us, I think. Definitely. And you definitely chose the most metal brewery in Calgary. And obviously Matt McGackie of, of Cryptopsy knows his shit about beer. Oh yeah. He's uh yeah, he's, he's a beer guy <laughs> for sure. When you guys were discussing the flavor, obviously it was all between all three, but who kind of took lead on that? And was there any suggestions that were made that were kind of surprising to you? Um, yes, like I first, yeah, Matt definitely took the lead on, um, the flavor profile. I know, I think, I can't remember what he wanted it for. I'm pretty sure he wanted it to be just hops and lavender or something like that, but I don't know. No, maybe, yeah, something, it's, it was so long ago now, it feels like. But we had to adjust it. I remember we had to adjust it slightly to fit the beer so it would be more flavorful in the beer. So it was a black. Black tea, lavender, and hops. Um, yeah, it balanced really well. And, like, the beer is actually, yeah, it's really good. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, it, whatever he wanted that we had to adjust escapes me right now. Um, 
yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. There was something, but I, I, I just can't remember what we had to change in the end, the final blend. But in the, yeah, in the end, it, it worked out really well. The tea and the beer. I think the beer, like, I think the, the label was like pretty um, gruesome. I guess they, I think they were afraid it wasn't going to sell with their it's like levels like a metal brewery, but they're like more family inclusive as well. Um, so I think they were worried it wasn't going to sell, but I guess it sold like really fast, even with like the the gruesome nun holding like the plate of hops. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. When it comes to introducing like a new product for you, regardless of it's if regardless of whether it's a collab or not, what does the timeline look for you? How long from start like from the idea to when it's um, ready for sale? Oh man, it really yeah. It can be like something so quick where I'll just like have an idea. Uh, the ingredients are super easy to source. I have artwork for the label. Like it can be like a matter of like one month, start to finish, like really quick. Because like we're them. making it, our, yeah, we're making it ourselves. Um, my business partner Connor, who is uh, our artist, can like print and make the artwork um, very. I don't want to say easily, but like he has lots of artwork ready to go. Um, so like on that aspect, it can be like very fast and easy. But then there's like other times, especially when you're working with like uh, an artist. Like I think from the time we started talking with Cradle of Filth to the time we pumped it out, that was almost like a year. Um, of like going back and forth between names, artwork, um, the blends, sending stuff to like the UK back and forth. Um, it was like a, a pretty big ordeal. So like, I think a year is like on the longer end, but I think a typical product push out is like between one and four months, depending on who we're working with. And how involved they want to be. No, totally. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think the longest part about like the bloodbath one where they did not really seem to care about the, the blending itself was the artwork. I think it was like a, a couple back and forth between the label, um, how it was going to look idea, um, before they approved it. So like that was the longest <laughs> part for that one. Now moving into music, you've mentioned before that music has always been a, an essential outlet for you, uh, in part because you wanted to maintain your mental health. Was this one of the main factors behind establishing the Satanic Tea Company? Music? Yeah, totally. Like, and like COVID, I guess too. Like um, my previous band that I was in for quite a few years, um, they, we stopped playing in like 2018. That was like yeah, the way it ended was like kind of rocky, I guess. And I was just like, I'm gonna take a break from touring and stuff like that. Um, just working crappy jobs, making like no money, um, mental health deteriorating, not playing music, like kind of, it was, it's music's been such a constant in my life since I was like 12 up until 28 years old. So it was like a big piece missing, I guess there, where I didn't really realize it at first, but then not putting any effort into that side of myself for a while, uh, was definitely playing a toll. Um, I was going to start making music anyways. Um, I think what got like the wheels turning to like, put it as part of Satanic Tico was like stuff like Death Clock and like Belzebubs, who was a comic book, like fictional characters that start a band, but then they signed to Century Media. They started, they're supposed to play festivals and shit like that, but then COVID happened and it got canceled. But it was like, I don't know. I thought that was like just kind of an interesting idea of like taking something fictional and then turning it into like a real thing. So um, just like, I have a hard time concentrating on a lot of, different pots I guess even though like with the company there's a lot of stuff going at the same time so I just figured it is kind of a weird name it is a weird concept I know it's gonna be hard for people to grasp maybe at first but I feel like in that moment of like what the hell is this guy doing there's like a 
that moment you're thinking about what is satanic tico a band or a tea company there's like a i think there's value in that kind of like moment where you're you have to think about it like that will give you just like you'll remember that maybe like maybe you'll hate it i don't care but like maybe you won't so like you took the moment to be like what the fuck <laughs> um, yeah. and hopefully you hear the music and you'll actually dig it and uh, see what we're doing is more than just like uh i guess like a gimmick to sell tea and like is something that i gotta do and i love to do and i love uh metal and death metal so like that's kind of like what we're trying to do just uh do what we love and when you were choosing like a musical direction was it difficult to choose the metal route or was that something that you knew that you wanted to do oh no yeah like i love all sorts of metal like i've always loved um lots of different types of metal but death metal has been like i feel like the main constant for like most of my life death metal like and like, I guess when I was younger, I was, like, more into, like, slammy deathcore. But, like, overall, death metal was um, definitely the, the the direction we wanted to go in, for sure. And you said a little bit earlier that um, kind of like the idea of maybe bringing fiction to reality. And I, I guess I just want to touch on the uh, the human tea doll that you brought to life in your music video. I thought it was a really cool concept. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. It was, like, a good opportunity, because too, because... Um, my friend, uh, Callie, who's like a photographer here in Calgary, she had like a, I think it was her like Christmas themed photo shoot that was all Barbie box related. Um, so we kind of just like modified, we took all like the candy canes and shit out of it and like made it, um, we made like a custom decal and shit to match the picture and everything. Um, so it worked out pretty good. Like put the spikes and shit on the back wall. Um, that was like a more of a kind of a luck, right time type thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Satanic Tea Company, the band, is a solo project, correct? Um, well, yeah, I guess technically it is, like, considered, it's between me and the producer, Scott, who is um, writing all the music. Um, he's also going to be in the live band as well when we start playing shows this spring. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't think it'd be right to technically call it a solo project, uh, because Scott is also, like, probably more involved than I am with, like, the creation of the music, because he's writing, he's writing all the drums, but now we have a full band. Mm -hmm. Um and line up to start playing shows uh, this April. And you have the shows already booked? Yeah, we have a few shows. But I'm not, they're not announced yet, so I'm not allowed to say anything. Oh yeah, no worries. Yeah, but we will, yeah, we will be playing here, though, for sure. Perfect. I'll definitely try to catch you. Was it difficult to find musicians for the band that already existed? Um, it actually wasn't hard at all, because um, yeah, Scott Oliphant um, is who we're working with to create the music um, on the instrumental side. Um, I've known Scott for like... 12 plus years uh, so we've been yeah we've been close and like he was trying to write me different music during COVID but then he just kind of lost touch uh, that way um, then reconnected kind of like post covid -y, I guess like a year ago um, uh, my business partner is playing bass um, a member of my old band is playing the other guitar and then another member of Scott's other band is playing drums so it um we kind of just like fell together pretty easily, actually. Nice. And I think I read earlier that you were also looking at releasing either an album or EP earlier this year. So within the first quarter, maybe? Yeah, I think um, it might actually just be a slew of singles and then like a collection of singles. Um, I'm not too sure how it's going to work out. But yeah, we're trying to figure out the best uh, avenue. But there will be new music this spring. How much new music, I'm not sure uh, yet, but yeah, for sure, there'll be um, new shit this spring. And we have like, we already have uh, six songs recorded at the moment, ready to go. What's pushing you to do the single route instead of like a full album or an EP? 
I think just being able just to keep things fresh and exciting. I think uh, just like, I don't know when we're gonna have more new music <laughs> at the moment, so just like trying to like uh, make that last as long as possible, um, and then just trying to get people to hear our music by seeing us live. Hopefully, that helps draw people out a bit more. Um, but it's not like we're gonna be like sitting on these songs forever. Um, or not being releasing them as a collection of uh, music like an EP. Um, eventually, it just um, kind of correlate things where I think uh, we'll be like build more value and uh, have a more exciting release um, per song for like uh, the people who are going to hopefully check it out. Well, and if you're releasing consistently like that, like single after single, even if a little bit of time has lapsed in between, it's keeping you relevant, kind of, kind of at the top of things. Exactly. Totally. Just, yeah, keep things fresh with people's minds. We're always like, hopefully going to be pumping out something. We'd be recording like a cover. Also, I think will be like fun for people to check out. Um, just stuff like that. It seems like even with like the serious imagery and the satanic theme, it seems like you guys have a lot of fun doing what you do. No, totally. Like, yeah, it's like the whole thing. Like we're like, I like, if you like check out our TikTok or like our social media type platforms, like I'm pretty goofy. I think like people say it's like a lot of cringe posting, like, I may be cringe, but I'm free. Like, I don't give a fuck what people think. Like, I think there's like a, if you're too super serious and you can't like take like a stuff, what we're doing is the greatest salt or like don't want to laugh or something. Then like what we're doing is not really for you, I guess. Um, sometimes, yeah, I guess like with metal and like blood and like, just like portraying yourself a certain way, people can take it and they get like kind of weirded out when you start being a little goofy, I guess sometimes. But I think there's like, I like having fun and like not really, kind of dictate my actions on what I think people are going to perceive of me. I'm just like, either you like what you get or you can just fuck off. Like, I'm not really concerned. Um, if you don't like it, then yeah, we're just not, we're not for you. But yeah, we're, we have a lot of fun for sure. And so for anyone looking for the Satanic Tea Company, uh, coffee or clothing, obviously there's pitchblacknorth.com, but are there any other sites or places that you would direct people to go to? Uh, definitely. Yeah. Just satanicteaco.com would be the best because it's like, uh, Tanatico.com is like our link tree. So it has like all relevant links to like our music, our merch, our tea, coffee, everything, um, music videos, music, anything you could possibly think of for Satanic Tico, it'll be there at Tanatico.com. Awesome. And then what are some of the shops in Calgary where your tea is sold? Um, right now, it's just I Love You Coffee Shop on 4th Street and Right of Ritual on 17th Avenue okay. are the best spots to grab it. Awesome. But our full lineup will always be available online because depending on if it sells out pretty quickly there. So depending on what they have in stock, um, the online store always will have everything. Okay, cool. Moving back into music, just as my last question here, you mentioned that you like all styles of metal, but death metal is kind of your go-to, I guess. Currently, who are some of your favorite bands or bands that you have on heavy rotation? Heavy rotation. Oh man. Um, Animal Corpse is probably one of my favorite bands, Dying Fetus. Um, this is like this old staples for sure. Um, I just started checking out this band, Mental Cruelty. Um, okay. I haven't really heard. Yeah, like I never, I never heard them before up until like a couple weeks ago. But like, I've been listening to that last album like nonstop this week. Um, for like newer, younger bands, like I'm loving this like resurgence of like MySpace kind of like death metal, like 200 Stab Wounds, mm -hmm. um, Frozen Soul, like stuff like that. I'm like really liking these younger bands that are doing that type of stuff. Um, and then yeah, there's like this other band. It's like uh, I don't know what to call it. Like they're like new metal, deathcore metal mix, like Tala. I don't know if you've heard this. I think it's like Dave Portnoy's son is like the drummer of this band. 
Um, but they, yeah, they combine like a lot of, they combine like a lot of different styles of music. Um, and I don't know what it is about them, but they're like hitting me in like a perfect spot. <laughs> so I'm like listening to a lot of Tala um, right now. How do you sure. spell that? Is that K-A-L-L-A-H? Oh, it's a T-A-L-L-A-H. I don't think I've heard of them, but yeah, like I only I'd never heard of them up until like uh, like November of last year, and I have not stopped. They're in heavy rotation right now for sure. Just like super fun, catchy. Sounds good. I'm gonna check them out shortly after this podcast here. Crucifix, I want to thank you again for joining me today. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and uh, but moving the recording around. No, oh, yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. I had an excellent time. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.